You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Local voices, local conversations. Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. Ask people what's important to them, and they usually list their health, their kids, and their kids' education at or near the top. And certainly 15 years into 21st century education, we know more and more about what works and what doesn't, and it's a landscape that's changing rapidly. We've tried to reflect that here at NapaBroadcasting.com in some of the conversations we've had. We've talked about New Tech High, about the New Tech Foundation, about Napa Learns, about technology in preschools and kindergarten, and about project-based learning. And, of course, about many of the educational issues related to our partner here at Napa Valley College. Today, we moved to 30,000 feet to take a big-picture look at education here in Napa with the superintendent of the Napa Valley Unified School District, Patrick Sweeney, who joins us here at NapaBroadcasting.com. Patrick, thanks for coming in. Thank you, Jeff. Great to have you here. First of all, how's the school year been going so far? We're it's one of our best. Oddly enough, probably (laughs) what two thirds of the way through it already. Yes, it's it's gone fast, but it's been a great year. We started the year with an earthquake, and quite frankly, it was a great way to rally people, and people became very united. And fortunately for us, people appear to remain united. So people are working together a lot on the new budget and uh, plans for next year already. So it's been a great year. Well, I want to talk about plans for next year and plans beyond that. You recently had a a kind of strategic planning session, a kind of forum to look at some of the issues that were coming down the road over the next couple of years. Tell us a little bit about that event, why you did it, what you hope to accomplish. Well, it was actually a series of small events that led to this. We had many focus groups this spring, early spring, with parents, with teachers, with our classified staff, which are the secretarial staff, custodians, all the non-teaching positions, uh-huh. uh, parent and community members, uh, our administrators, our principals, were basically telling us, these are the things we're working on, and this is, these are the areas we could get better, and this is the staff we might need to, to do that. And it's all part of the new funding formula that the state has authorized and asked us to write an accountability plan. And so it's all part of the accountability plan. So we're right in the middle of year two, looking at what we said we would do in year one, evaluating that progress and, and writing this year and the next two years. So we, we, write, we write three-year plans. So um, we're right in the middle of it. It's very exciting. And uh, we're getting good direction from not only the board, but also some of our constituents. Talk a little bit about this new funding formula. People may hear about it as LCAP, local control accounting, and to how it's going to impact and change NVUSD specifically in schools in general in California. Well, I, I think it's a great thing. When Governor Brown rolled this out, he wanted a way that school systems and communities would have more authority over the dollars that they receive. In the old model, there were 40 different categories that you could get money from the state tied with many strings that we had to fill out forms and uh, do audits on. And what he did, he freed that all up by giving every school system a base number and then additional dollars if you have students of poverty, English learners, and foster youth. And so when you write your accountability plan or you write your goals, you address all students in the system and then you write specific areas to assist those students who are from homes of poverty or they're learning a new language, learning English as their, as their second language, and, and also foster youth. Because those are the, the students who generally have you know, suffered or, or been behind in terms of um, doing all that they can do 
uh, to succeed in school and succeed beyond school in, in careers. Mm-hmm. And talk about some of the specific things that we're doing, that NVUSD is doing to address some of those issues and kind of prioritize what those areas are that, that we need to address under that formula. Well, let me start with the needs. We have, we have a pretty big achievement gap between uh, students uh, that are middle class and upper middle class and students of poverty. And that achievement in, in Napa tends to follow ethnic lines as well. So our our Latino students who's who may have been born in another country or their parents came from another country who are still learning English as young young children are at a disadvantage when it comes to the high rigorous uh, standards that we we have that uh, now have become our new state standards. They're called the Common Core standards. So getting their achievement up is big and. So we've instituted every school an academic coach who helps support the teachers to learn this new Common Core and how to reach every student. Those students who are doing well, how do you stretch them so that they can reach their maximum potential and at the same time uh, reach those students who have been struggling and and give them the extra support. So we have some extra support programs at all the schools. We, We call it interventions. Uh, I think in the old days they call it remedial programs, but they're basically a lot of her online uh, and kind of blended between a teacher and some online work, uh, some software that can actually diagnose students in the moment and adjust what they need next. We have that going on. We have uh, the academic coaches. And, and for some elementary schools that have high, high uh, populations of students of poverty whose parents never finished high school, we've given them extra resources. So there's... There's uh, some schools in town that we've given extra resources to to support them. Does Common Core make it more difficult to address some of these achievement gaps that you're talking about than it was under under the old formula? Yes and no. Uh, yes, because it's much more rigorous than the old standards, and so the gap is going to show up further apart. And no, because all students need to be ready for college and careers, and I think the Common Core dresses that in a much better way than the old system. In the old system, there were a lot of facts that you needed to know, and it was kind of just knowledge-based. And I think the Common Core, really, the way these new, because these tests are on computers, and these these tests will adjust to your level. If you're a high achiever, they'll keep asking you more difficult questions. If If you're lower and having, maybe struggling with reading, it'll adjust down to get exactly what's wrong with your you know, the areas of reading. So on the one hand, yes, they're more rigorous. Yes, there's the gap is going to look bigger, I think. Um, but on the other hand, it's what kids need for college and careers, and it's it's not the old, same old things that maybe you and I learned, mm-hmm. but these are they're really going to address critical thinking. They're, they're, the, the math problems we've seen are pretty rigorous. They're, they're not like and – the, and the way the tests, because it's on a computer – and because it has this diagnostic nature to it, um, in the old days when we took a multiple choice test, we could kind of eliminate the two worst answers, get to the two that were kind of similar and guess, and you'd have a 50-50 chance. And right. so your, your test scores could go up because you actually learned how to game the, the test. And we all taught that to our students, and the students learned it pretty quickly. And we saw our test scores continua- continuously rise for all kids. Well, these new tests... There is no multiple choice like that, and um, you have to know the right answer, or it's wrong. So, uh, 
the, because it's on a computer, they can be a little more sophisticated in the way they ask the question. And they are doing that. Talk a little bit about what you're seeing and projecting, the district is projecting, with respect to the demographics of the community and how this is being tailored to what you see as the coming demographics. Well, I think over the last 20 years, Napa demographics have really changed where there were a lot of, um, well, there's 70% white students and now there's only 31% white students. The the students, the ch- the, the adults that are... are um, Moving into Napa are are older. You know, they're they're in their fifties now, maybe sixties. So there's less young children in Napa than there used to be. Now, American Canyon's part of our district, and it's along a corridor eighty, and so um, I think it's it's a great option for people that want to move in and buy a new home. And that there has been more homes in in American Canyon, and on the projection, there's going to be another big development in American Canyon if it, if it goes through the city's approvals. But in Ameri- in Napa, the demographics are changing that we're getting older. And um, and the and the group that is has a little bit of growth are the Latino families that have moved in to do some of the service work or work in the fields. And there, there's some middle class Latinos, but by and large in Napa, the majority are working class, you know, blue collar um, families. How does all of this get reflected in our facility needs going forward? And I know you're in the middle of a, a study that's been going on for quite some time now to look at exactly that. We're going school by school to judge what what's working well on those on those facilities and what areas do we need to improve and how do those facilities meet the the needs of this century, this 21st century. Um, and frankly, over the last 10 years, you, you've seen yourself how computers and and um, Handheld devices, phones, iPhones, have really um, just zoomed uh, to new new things that they can do. And our students coming up come from a generation that they're used to those. You know, they're used to iPads and they're used to some of these devices. So our our teaching has to change, and because their learning is is different, um, they can now research the answer pretty quickly. If, and anything that's based on knowledge or facts, they can they can find that for themselves. So what we need to focus on is to really get their thinking to be more 21st century. In order to do 21st century, we have to have 21st century equipment. Um, there's just there's things you can do in classrooms with the big screens that students can uh, use their laptops. We're trying to get laptops in the hands of every student. In fact, at our middle schools, every student does have a laptop. Uh, some we provide. Others we ask parents to provide the um, so in some of the career the career jobs that we want to do is um, is going to take a little bit more um, facility improvement than what we have right now. Um, there's a big push in nutrition. Uh, parents want kitchens at at our campuses. You know, we have a centralized kitchen right. approach, which means more things are packaged. They arrive cold. They maybe they're not as fresh looking, and we're trying to get more, um, you know, from farm, especially local farms. We've we've redistributed some of the money we get from the government to do that. Um, so these these schools want kitchens, and kitchens aren't inexpensive to put right. in. So so there's a quite a bit, but we're going through this kind of school by school and and looking at. I think by the summer we'll have it where it's more public. Mm-hmm. What about in terms of the physical structures of the schools themselves? Are there some that we may not need, places that we may need more? How is that looking? 
Well, we have some overcrowding at our middle schools, and and it's an interesting dynamic because um, although we have some small elementary schools, we our middle schools are very full and our high schools are full. So what we're looking at in Napa, we have um, two schools actually on one one campus, and they're sharing facilities. And one of them is River Charter School, and the other is Harvest Middle School. And what we'd like to do is move River to its own campus. They they would like to grow. We're, we're supportive of them growing to be to be on their own campus, and that would also allow some redistribution of students. We have students um, who actually live in the Harvest neighborhood who we're sending off to Silverado on buses. They could walk to school to, to harvest. And so that's just in Napa. And in American Canyon, we have a similar situation where there's a, too many students on a campus called American Canyon Middle School. Right. With this 1,200 homes coming in, that's going to generate overcrowding, both at the elementary and at the middle school. We not only need to build a new middle, elementary school for those new students, but we need to build a middle school to house the new students who, who will be generated over the next five years down in American Canyon from this this new development. How do we do that, for example, with respect to Harvest, given that we have a pretty much open enrollment policy in the district? How do we get those people that may be living near that school to go there as opposed to Silverado or, or Redwood? Well, I think we've done a really good job of improving their academic program. I think you'll see with International Baccalaureate, it's a it's internationally known. It's, it's some of the most rigorous standards. Um, and although they do take our common core standards, they teach beyond that. And I think as parents learn more about International Baccalaureate, they'll see that it's a, it's a great option. And we've, we have pumped some money in there on their facility. And if, if we were to get more facility money, we'd, we'd do additional. They have an animation room. They're the only school that has, even the high schools don't have this, but they have animation programs at the school. But the International Baccalaureate, again, is uh, very rigorous, and it was designed actually by the British so that when students could, their parents were children of diplomat, or the children were uh, diplomat children, or maybe some of these big um, companies, international companies that would work abroad, they needed a way for to measure their success in high school so they could attend prestigious universities, and, and it's virtually in every country, international baccalaureate, and we have two elementary schools. We have Bel Air Elementary School that's doing International Baccalaureate. We have Mount George that does International Baccalaureate. And Harvest Middle School just started this year, and they're off to a great start. They're, um, yeah. So we, we, I think academically, I think physically, we need to f- improve that facility. It's not the most attractive of our middle schools. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the programmatic side, the way in which project-based learning has been added to a lot of the curriculum in the district and a lot of the things that have come out of new tech that have worked their way into a lot of the programs in the district. Talk a little bit about that and how it really dovetails with Common Core and some of the stuff that, that really is part of that. It's it's amazing when the the Chamber of Commerce and Rotary 18 years ago said that there was a need to do high school differently, that students weren't coming out of high school with the, the skills that the business world needs. And several years later now, we've, we've really focused on imp- spreading that message that not only do students need to know the basics, but they also need to know some of the, we would call soft school skills. They know, need to know how to collaborate. They need to know how to work on real world problems. They need to communicate well. They 
they need to be creative and be innovative because this is a nation of innovation. Um, those are some of the, the kind of things that our students need. We call them the four C's, so communication skills, collaboration skills, critical thinking, and creativity. They need those skills, and we're doing it. We're, we've, we started with our middle schools. We wanted those middle schools to get started. In fact, um, they're showing great success. It's a whole different way of teaching, and, and it's, but it's much more engaging for our students because they're working on real-world problems. They're working in small groups. They've got to present. They've got to present a product that they've worked on together. There's ways to grade one another on the success of their collaboration skills, and we try and get real-world partners. So we've had engineers be judges, and we've had other people judge their projects. It's the way that keeps kids engaged. It's a way that we can... Uh, reach out to the community and get them involved in our educational program. Um, and quite frankly, it's the best way for kids to learn because they'll remember what they're supposed to learn. And again, we're, we're kind of moving away from facts and knowledge to application. So it's a really good way for them to practice their application skills. Which is a good place to mention maybe the tech center that's going in behind your office, essentially. Yes, yes. We're very excited about that because that'll give us a chance to do training for our teachers. This is, oh, you mentioned earlier the Common Core. I want to say one more thing about the Common Core and project-based learning. The Common Core is much more um, rigorous and a lot more critical thinking. And in project-based learning, it requires students to do critical thinking because they're presenting based on the research they've done. They've got to argue their point. There's usually a, some kind of counter-argument in the presentation, and it, it, it dovetails very nicely with the Common Core. Um, and this tech center that we're building will help. Well, it does two purposes. One's very practical. We've got servers in, in a very old portable that, <laughs> that, uh, that needs to be, for safety reasons and for just good use of taxpayer dollars, needs to be in a permanent facility that's air-conditioned that, that has all the, the, the right amount of power to it. And secondly, we need to train our teachers because many, many of our teachers never worked this closely with laptops and computers. And to expect them to teach and lead our students, they need to be retrained. And, and um, the Students and, are doing much of the teaching in some of those situations. At this point in some of the classrooms, yes. Yes, <laughs> they, know, they know a lot. And we, have, we have, actually have students helping us tutor some of our adults. But there's a lot of training that has to go in with our teachers. And now that the Common Core test is given on a computer there is no one left behind in terms of technology we have to we have to know it as adults or we will will keep our students behind what are the financial challenges that we're facing we talked a little bit about the state funding mechanism being new but but what are the limitations and what are the challenges that we face over the next couple of years well, I, I think Governor Brown's done done all that he can do up until this point. I, I think the state still can do more, but I think I think we're on the right track. I just want our listeners to know that we're still 46th in the nation. The dollar per student amount is we're fifth from the bottom, sixth from the bottom of the nation. And when I went to school in California many, many years ago, we were in the top 10% in terms of funding. I say, well, funding doesn't matter. Well, yes, it does. It means... Other states have class sizes of 15, 16, 17, and we have class sizes over 30. Now, fortunately, we're able to move our K-3 kindergarten through third grade classes down to 24, but that's going to take us years to get there. 
we have we're competing against schools that have full-time librarians with master's degrees we're competing against uh, states that have the already have better technology than we do and we're the state of the silicon valley and where it's embarrassing when you see indiana and michigan have better technology than california does um so we're we're not out of the woods but um at least there's a path and what are the specific challenges for NVUSD financially? Well, I, I think I think there's more needs and there's money to go around, and that's that's part of the the whole process of getting focus groups together to help us prioritize. Um, you know, we almost half our students are students of poverty, and some of those families need counseling support. Uh, some of those some of those families need better nutrition. There's, there's a lot of areas we need to help our families with, help our students with, um, and there's not enough money to go around to do everything. So we're, we're doing the best we can with what we have. There's been talk, of course, of a potential bond issue on the ballot in 2016 for NVUSD. Where does that stand? What would that be focused on? Well, it's a little too early <laughs> because we haven't finished our facility master plan. We anticipate that to be done this, this summer. We are looking at options. Now, the governor is very concerned about water, which he should be, and other needs. Um, so in the past, the state was able to pass statewide bonds for facilities, and the state would pay about 40% on the dollar if you had a project that was approved by them that they saw was needed. They would fund 40% of that. And right now, they're giving us zero. So that's going to be a big hurdle. Um, but we're kind of watching, and there's people trying to lobby the, the governor and some of the other state legislators to pass a statewide bond for facilities. Um, locally, we haven't decided it, but we haven't ruled it out either. Um, we, need to go, we need to look at all the facts. We need to go school by school and see what the needs are and then determine what would be ways to get that. I can tell you this, that if big new developments come in, we're doing everything we can for them to pay their way. We're in the middle of negotiations with the developer down in American Canyon. Uh, we're working with the city of American Canyon to make sure that those new developments pay their their fair share. Um, and as far as a school bond, we're keeping it open as an option, but it's a little too soon to, to mm -hmm. say whether we're going to do it. If there were a statewide facilities bond, would that alleviate the need for a local bond measure? No, no, because it only <laughs> pays about, like I said, 40%. Um, no, the needs are pretty big. The needs are pretty big. We have a lot of we have a lot of old old buildings and and portable buildings on on places like Napa High and, and Vintage High. You know, you see the front of the school and it looks beautiful. You walk behind the curtain and you see really old buildings with some concrete broken up and there's there's some technology needs that we need to put in the classroom. So there there's still a lot of needs out there and and there's some retrofit, earthquake retro retrofit that needs to happen that hasn't had a lot of press, but uh, you'll hear it today. There's, that earthquake shook us up, and uh, there's several million dollars worth of damage there. And uh, Where has that been primarily? Which schools are those primarily? Well, Snow School is right near a fault line. And fortunately for everyone, uh, it didn't happen at Snow School, but we've already had the, the state... Uh, geological people out um, telling us that the campus actually has to be moved back, that it's right physically underneath the fault line. So we've looked at the rest of the property. We spent a lot of time researching that. But 
over the next couple of years, we need to, we need to relocate the main classroom areas um, to the east to give it, to be away from the fault line. It's directly under the fault. So there's there's some major earthquake things that need to be looked at. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the overcrowding at the middle school issue. Um, we'd like to add more solar. Solar saves a lot of money out of the general fund, which can go to students instead of paying for energy, you know, energy, electricity. Um, last year, American Canyon High School, the new campus, it was built in 2010, has solar, and uh, they paid $80 for the year for the whole campus. So we'd like to do more of that. We're putting solar And you've been in putting solar in Napa High, the building High, in Napa High. Napa High. Vintage High is getting it, too. Um, that's going to save us energy. But there's there's possibilities in other campuses besides those three big mm-hmm. high schools. I want to come back to the middle schools for a moment because we talked about less crowding in some of the elementary schools. Is this just a bubble that we're seeing in the middle schools at the moment that will will ultimately pass through and bring them back down to size? Or is this something that we're looking at as a, a potential ongoing problem? It's uh, I think we're I th- well, we have demographers that help us each year. Napa Pipe will bring more students, and there could be other developments in Napa. Although, um, you know, politically, that's kind of a political question too. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know what's going to happen in terms of you know who are in the chairs to make those decisions about growth in Napa. But there'll be a little bit of growth, but. The community of Napa generally is aging, um, so we'll see. It could be a bubble. Mm-hmm. And the high schools talk about the the state of those in terms of crowding. I mean, what what do we see? High right schools now? are in better shape. It's more mm-hmm. about just modernizing some old buildings that we have at the high school. But in terms of student enrollments, um, well, American Canyon High continues to grow. It's very very attractive. There's going to be new development down there. Um, we're up to about 1,600 students at American Canyon High School. Uh, Napa High and Vintage High are kind of maintaining their growth. There could be like a bubble at the middle school. But remember, those schools were overcrowded, way overcrowded. They had 25, 2,600 students each. Now they're down to about 18 and 1,900 each. American Canyon helped that. I American mean, Canyon was a huge, off, right? yes. When the voters supported uh, Measure G in, in 2006 and building of American Canyon High School, uh, that Overly, that relieved a lot of overcrowding at, at Napa High and Vintage High, and we're thankful to the community for supporting that vision. I think it's been a great decision. It's helped American Canyon High, American, not only American Canyon High, but the community of American Canyon have their own high school. It's helped Vintage and, and Napa High have great, it's the perfect size. 1,800 student <coughs> high school is about the right size. You can do a variety of programs there, but they're not overcrowded. So at Napa High and Vintage High, I would see more modernization of old facilities. Talk a little bit about personnel issues that have been going on. New principal at Napa High after a lot of years, and no principal at New Tech after a kind of long time. <laughs> Address both of those. Well, we, um, I think, I think, I think you'll see Jeff very soon uh, a new principal for New Tech High. We we started the year. Um, Michelle Spencer got a job in San Rafael. Great job, and uh, for her, but. It's really hard. To, there's a season for hiring principals, and this we are right in the middle of the season. In fact, today uh, they're interviewing for Redwood Middle School. I would expect by the next week or so we can start announcing that actually goes to the board, so it won't be until April 9th. We'll announce that that decision. Uh, just hired Napa High local person who's done a great job, and um, uh, New Tech High 
we'll be after the spring break in April. We'll probably have a decision by the end of April for New Tech High. But there's some strong candidates for that one. A um, little too soon to go public because we haven't interviewed mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. But New Tech High, we'll, we'll know by April. Um, the person would start in August. Talk a little bit about this. This is a little on but off the subject because it is something that is that is an issue for the schools, and that is the whole subject of vaccinations. And there's been a lot of debate about it lately and a lot of concern with respect to the personal exemptions. And one particular school in the district, albeit a charter school, that is currently at 51% below the immunization rate. Is this a concern for the district? Is this something that makes its way up to your office? Well, we definitely discuss it. It's We kind of follow the Napa County Health and what they're telling us, and we try and follow their their lead. Um, as as they recommend, then we follow those recommendations. Um, you know, obviously, for the good of students, we'd like as many students vaccinated as possible, and all our other schools are really good at it. Um, good at it they, they have a high number high, of, right. high number they're in the 95 and and uh there's a couple of schools at 81 percent, i think but most are at 95 percent vaccinated it it is helps the health of all all the children in the school um but we honor the one charter school is independent and they kind of make most of their own governing rules um you know we would encourage them to consider it, vaccinations but you know right a, now the way the rule is right they have that right right is, wanna, is there a way the district can can create some kind of pressure in that regard is that something that i don't you think or i the, want or the I board could do well I, I think it i think because it's a charter school and want to respect their independence i think we're gonna just follow whatever the the napa county health guides us to mm-hmm. and, and maybe maybe the best thing for that school would be to have a meeting with the napa county health staff themselves since they are more independent and let them come to those conclusions. But, you know, people have personal reasons for their decisions. And we, on, on one hand, we want to respect that. So we, we touched a little bit on open enrollment in the district before. Talk a little bit about how the magnet schools are working out. How's that been going? I, I think the magnet program has been a, a great success in that it's allowed us to provide options for parents to schools that may they may not have considered before. Under the open enrollment and with the high accountability in the state of California, people could go online and see which schools had really high test scores. Some of the some of the some of the things that people don't know is that some of the best teachings going on in our schools where there's more poverty. And I think what the magnets allowed us to do is to really focus on a theme to improve academic achievement and to have some resources to actually recruit parents. And so it's like Salvador's art program has had a big influx of, of parents this year wanting to go there because they want the arts. It's a great school. Pueblo Vista has a dual immersion. It's now the second dual immersion school. They've had a huge, huge waiting list of parents that want to go to there because it's a, a great way to learn a second language free um, and to learn about environmental sciences. They've got a garden. They're going to be putting in a kitchen. Uh, so they can actually cook some of the food that they they grow in the garden. Uh, Bel Air has an international bo- baccalaureate program that I talked about earlier. Um, Harvest is just starting the international baccalaureate. So these are ways to um, voluntarily draw students into schools that otherwise might not be considered. So I think it's been successful, um, and we our our goal is to maintain those. We we received a lot of federal dollars for that. Um, it's a way to integrate our campuses and not do it in a way that's punitive or, 
restrictive, but it's truly voluntary. You mentioned before technology and, and a lot of students bringing their own devices to school and, and the need for technology today. At the same time, we've talked a little bit about the level of poverty in, in some of the schools. How are we squaring that circle? What is the responsibility of the district in that regard in wanting to be 21st century, but realizing there is this disconnect sometimes? Well, we've started at the middle schools with the technology, you know, in terms of every student having a laptop. And what we found was that if we can provide half the students laptops and ask Remember I told you we're about half of the students right. are of poverty? If we can provide half of our students laptops and then ask parents if they're going to be buying devices for their children anyway, um, let them bring them to school and let them use them. We also have at least a own program that through our Napa Valley Education Foundation and Napa Learns, they help provide that. Um, for our foster youth, we provided them all free. All the foster youth in Napa, we provided free. So we're... But we would like it to be um, bring your own device as much as possible because it's an ongoing cost and it's, an, it's a cost that's going to continue on the budget. And, of course, part of the issue is that the technology becomes obsolete so quickly. Yes, yes. So as we looked at – you talked about facility funding. As we looked at other funding, we might look at some creative way of having that happen. Um, there's districts that have done bonds for technology – but they run them short instead of a long 25-year mm -hmm. program. Maybe it's only 10-year um, with a replacement every three to five years. So um, we're looking into that as an option mm -hmm. uh, to sustain itself. And what is your sense of when a decision might actually be made with respect to a potential bond issue for 2016? Probably a year from now, I would guess. Uh, this is March. Yeah, Sometime in sometime during the year of 16, either spring or summer of 16. It's hard to believe that that's just around the <laughs> yes. corner, Patrick. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Goes by much too quickly. Yes. Patrick Sweeney, Napa Valley Unified School District, I thank you so much for coming in and spending some time with us. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate thank the you. opportunity. Thanks for listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. Napa Valley Radio, for the way we live now.